Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And we are going to have an interview with Peter Lenkoff, and let me tell you a little bit about Peter. Peter Lenkoff is a native of Montreal, Canada. He has been a writing producer of movies and television shows for nearly 20 years. He is currently on the hit CBS show Hawaii Five-O. He rebooted this franchise with Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi. The pilot episode has received rave reviews and the series is doing incredibly well. Prior to Hawaii Five-O, Peter had been an executive producer on CSI New York. There he won a Media Access Award and the acclaimed actor Ed Asner was nominated for an Emmy for his performance in an episode Peter had written. He has also worked on other top television shows such as 24, The District, and La Femme Nikita. He has also worked on other top television shows such as 24, The District, and La Femme Nikita. Recently has done a miniseries starring Stephen Dorff and Val Kilmer called 13, which is based off the popular graphic novel and video game of the same name. Some notable films that Peter has written and produced are Demolition Man, starring Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock, along with a number of films starring Polly Shore that include Son-in-Law and Jury Duty. He has also written several comic books for Dark Horse Publishing, R.I.P.D., which is in development to become a feature film, and Fort, Prophet of the Unexplained. Fort was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award in 2002. Peter lives outside of Los Angeles on a ranch with his wife, four children, and pets. Let's listen to the interview at the Paramount lot that we did with Peter in his offices. (laughs) Wow, isn't that amazing? Like when you listen to all that you've done in the last (laughs) 21 years. I mean, that is, that's amazing. Take me into... What is your secret of creating longevity in your writing career? Oh my God, secret to longevity. Uh, my God, I, 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 I guess it's just trying to challenge myself, trying to um, find, find properties or projects that I'm really passionate about. I think if you're passionate about it, you probably do your best work, something you really want to wake up and attack every day. Um, I think if you go into something kicking and screaming or not really being 100% behind it, I, I, I find you don't do your best work. And I, um, for me, it's always been looking for, for stuff that excites me and, and uh, something that's, stuff that scares me as well. I think, you know, mm-hmm. if it feels like it's really challenging, I, uh, I find that uh, I, I have this, you know, sort of competitive uh, fire inside me that, you know, I just, you just want to, you want to make it work. You want to succeed. So you'll take something on that maybe is not necessarily something in your wheelhouse and you say, I can do that. And that's another drive, you know, something that drives me. 
after 21 years, uh, thinking about... <laughs> you're going to keep driving that I home, so I'm going to feel very no, old. No, <laughs> but I love that. No, you're not old. That's what's so wild. You're so young. You started very, very young. Um, I think when I, when I think of the fact that it's been 21 years, when you think about success, and say when you were first starting your career, and when you would hit a challenge on a show and go, hmm, this is going to be a hard one. Now, after all this time, do you at all find peace in thinking, I know that I can pull it off no matter how challenging the project? I mean, do you welcome that, the challenge? I guess, you know, here's the thing. It's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a tough question, but I, I really feel like you never, you, you never know it all. And I feel right. like I'm learning every day and I, 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 I start my day thinking, okay, today's going to be great. And I usually am driving home at the end of the day wishing I had done something different. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you, uh, you, you know, you make, you make mistakes even, you know, look, after 21 years, you're still making mistakes and you're still learning. And I find like that's, that to me is, uh, um, uh, what I, what I bring to work every day is, is, uh, is, um, is I, I look at it like a learning experience and I'm also looking at it like I'm learning from my mistakes and, mm -hmm. and trying to do better. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't ever feel like I know it all. I, you know, it is, I would agree with you. I have to say working in the TV industry for 18 years and covering, I think I covered over 15 primetime shows and it never got to a point where you're like, every show was a new challenge. So it was constant learning. So I, I think that is very honest, but I always wonder like when you're behind, you've been on a, a showrunner on how many shows now? Uh, Hawaii Five O. I ran uh, with Pam Visay, uh, CSI New York. I did the last year La Femme Nikita, running the show with uh, Larry Herzog, um, and uh, an executive producer on a number of series. Right. Um, and what do you think about being a showrunner? How has how has that experience been? It's great. I I the one thing that I I feel like I wish I had more time to do is write. Yes. I think the you know, there's so much to do in the day. A lot of it, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of managing, you know, different departments and uh, uh, keeping the machine running that uh, you really, you really find yourself as a writer trying to carve out that time to write. And uh, every hour is very precious. So I usually am waking up very early in the morning or going to bed really late at night. And that's my writing time. Yeah. Um, as a showrunner, I, I think if somebody would have told me early on that, um, you're not going to get as much time as you'd like to write. I probably would have rethought the whole, uh, the whole idea, but, uh, but look, it's very satisfying. You get, you know, you create a show, you get to be, uh, responsible for the show. And, and if the show's doing well, knock wood, you know, it's, um, it's rewarding. You no, know, it's yeah. very, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. very rewarding. So no, that's great. Now with Hawaii five up. So how did this all come to be? How, how did this land in your lap? Um, I wish I could say I wish I could say it was my idea because right. it wasn't. It was CB, you know, CBS had a real passion to reboot this thing or bring it back. Um, uh, I I think they had tried on some development, a couple of different uh, development cycles to bring it back, and it didn't work for one reason or another. Um, they would never tell me why, actually, but uh, they just I I think you know I had a good relationship. I've been working with CBS for about ten years. Uh, they had actually just casually mentioned uh, the franchise to me and if I was interested in rebooting it and uh, I jumped at the, the opportunity it was it was a show that uh, um, 
it was my uh, my dad's favorite show and and I remember growing up uh, how important it was to him and I remember through almost osmosis sort of uh, um, really uh, having the same passion for it as he did um, I and love it, that. Yeah, That's and and great. again, I, I was really I was really young, but I I remember, you know, I just remember Hawaii. I remember, you know, I remember you know Jack Lord's hair. I remember certain you know sort of images, iconic images from the show. But when they asked me to redo it, I I I just jumped at the chance because I knew this was something that I could I could get behind, and I and I also felt that it was something that I knew very well. And uh, um, if I was going to have a shot at, or if this thing was going to have a real shot at getting made. I wanted to be the one to do it. So, um, so I, you had a lot of motivation. I like yeah. that. Making dad proud too. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah. you know, I, I always felt like if I could make him, if I, if he, if he'd enjoy it, if I could make him want to tune in every week, then I'd probably do the same for, you know, the other, you know, fans that have watched that show for 12 years. Cause you know, he's a good example of, of, uh, of the viewer that watched that show from 68 to 80. Um, and what that viewer's looking for in the show. So I felt like I got to please him first. And if I please him, I know I'll please all those other fans. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great barometer. Um, I have to say the pilot was definitely one of my favorite pilots. And I, I think the reason being, even though it is more of a male oriented show, certainly with the opening that you had, because it was so emotionally riveting, it set up the whole drive for your lead character. What would you say formula-wise for the show? It does seem like you tend to, like the episodes that seem to really stand out are the ones where the cast is personally involved with the crime in some aspect. Um, but looking at the formula of the show, is there is there a set formula that you guys use? What? How would you? I, I don't know if there's a set formula. There's, there's a recipe, I think, more mm -hmm. than a formula. And mm -hmm. I, I think the recipe is... You know, we try to put heart into every episode. We try to explore our characters every episode, try to give you some new information on those characters. Uh, we really treat, and this is, sounds cliche, but we try to keep, you know, our location, Hawaii, and try to treat that as a character um, and try to see as much as the island as, as you can week to week. Um, I, You know, the, the procedural elements, that's, you know, definitely a big part of the mix. Um, the comedy, that's something that, you know, you I, rarely yeah. see in these procedurals. The so there are certain things. Yeah. And it's so the banner, the, the McGarrett Danny relationship, that's huge in mm -hmm. our show. It's a huge engine. Um, so I think, you know, there really is a very specific recipe in what every episode needs. Um, but I don't want it to get too formulaic because mm -hmm. I think then you start expecting or you start anticipating what's going to happen in the story. You start pointing out who the villain is. Um, but I do feel we have a very specific recipe. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I have to say, as far as heart, I am shocked. It's one of the few procedural shows that I watch as much as I do, and I'm usually in tears at one point in every episode. So it, I, you guys do a great job at that. I mean, that's huge, you know. That's wonderful. And, and I think going into a procedural with heart is a great, is a great recipe. Um, now how would you, when you look at what you've created now versus the old Hawaii Five O, how would you say it differs? What do you feel? Is there anything that, that you feel maybe in the modern version you're just really happy with? Um, I think, I think, you know, if you look back at that show from 68 to 80, it, it really, um, 
you know, it was a great procedural show. It was a great, it was a great cop show. It, it, uh, in its day, it was uh, cutting edge television. I, for me, I, I felt that, uh, I, 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 as much as I enjoyed it, the one thing that was missing for me uh, as a viewer, even watching it now, is you didn't really get to know much about the characters, and and then I, I found that was my way into this thing, and and you know you're sort of looking like how do you add value to this franchise, um, and for me that was the way in is if I could really explore the characters and find out why they're on this island, why do they live here, who they are, because you know you, you you sort of knew Jack Lord, but you weren't sure where he came from. You never knew how Five O was was uh, assembled. You knew it was a task force that worked for the governor, but how did that come about? I mean, there was a, there was all these questions that I had as a viewer that I figured a lot of people, a lot of other people would have as well. So I felt like I wanted to answer those questions, and I just wanted to know who the characters were. And and in this day and age, with you know such great television out there, like you know Mad Men and Dexter, and you know all these great shows that really uh, uh, survive week to week on their characters. I felt like if I was going to do this show, I would have to really invest my time in that. And because uh, there's a lot of procedurals on the air, um, a lot of procedurals that don't really get into the characters. But I felt like uh, this would this really would stand out if I could you know, get to know who these people were. I think that's an excellent, excellent note for writers on all shows, quite honestly. I think when you look at cable versus network and you recognize the audience is gravitating toward the character, it's great to rather than go, you know, God, I can't deal with that, to go let me embrace that and figure out how we put that into the network version uh, of a show. And I think you've done that beautifully. Um, looking at all the episodes you've done so far, what is, which one is your favorite and why? <laughs> <laughs> I know they're uh, all your babies. Well, look, I, 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 they are, they're all my babies. I love them all. I, I think for me, the pilot, it's just mm-hmm. because it really, um, it came out of the, it, it was a great experience. It came out of the gate very, you know, warmly re- received. And, yeah. and, um, I think everybody just did their best work. Uh, not to say that they don't week to week. I just think that we really, you have one shot with a pilot. You have one shot to like impress the studio, then the network, then the public, then the people are going to buy the show. And ever. so and I just think it just, this thing fired on all cylinders and it was really um, just, again, a great cast and crew doing their best work. And now it's interesting because now is this your first time that your showrunner, creator, executive producer from the very beginning? Yes. Are there's shows that I there was shows that I've created uh, there was uh, that I didn't run there was right. a show years ago called uh, the Crow Stairway to Heaven which was a uh, um, basically a television show based on the Crow series the oh movies. great great um, there was a cable show years ago um, uh, based on the Lost World that I, uh, I I I wrote but in terms of Creating and staying on, yes, this is the first one. And and uh, was that a little scary? Would no, you say? I think you know. I, I think I, I I think I was trained by the right people, so Good. I felt like I I I well, at least I convinced the right people. I knew what I was doing. So I think that's such a huge part of this business. Quite honestly, is is showing up, following through, and and believing that you can do it and delivering. I mean, because I think fear is such a huge part of this town. And and um, I think the people who've had, well, it's not to say, I mean, I would say fear probably drives the majority of this town. Um, now, 
in looking at, uh, I know I can say from a current programming executive point of view, it usually takes like five shows for the studio, the network, and the showrunner's visions to kind of come into play and unify. What has that experience been like with this show? I think, um, no, I think you're right. I think, you know, it usually takes a little bit. Everybody always says it's the first half of the season. Uh, you'll get noted to death. And then after that, they'll start to let go a little bit. And I think, look, you know, this is a very important franchise for them. Again, it was on the air for 12 years. It, you know, anywhere you go, somewhere in the world, this thing is playing at any given time of the day. I remember when we were scouting locations in Hawaii, it was on every night, 7 o'clock. People did not miss it. Hawaii Five-O. So, um, it's, it's, a you know, from the theme song to, you know, to, to, to the actors, it's a very important franchise and iconic franchise. Um, and you said internationally it's doing in, well. interna Yeah. Internationally. I mean, you know, look, everybody knows that song. So I think for them, they really feel like, uh, this can't make mistakes and they really wanted this thing to come out of the gate and, uh, impress people and get people to tune in. And because um, I think they also felt that people are going to come to this with their arms folded, like they're going to say these reboots don't work. Why should this one work? And why, and, 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 um, why are you even remaking this thing? It works so well. So I think that in terms of uh, the experience with the studio and the network being hands-on, giving us notes, um, they have every right to be involved. Um, they're usually dead on with, with their input. Um, and I think it's been a pretty smooth sort of uh, meeting of the minds. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I wanted to do anything radically different than they did. Right. I think they understood that the pilot was something that really uh, um, had a real pace, uh, was, um, was ha had a lot of things that a lot of their shows didn't have. And I, and I felt like they, they embraced that in the, in the script stage. So I wasn't expecting them to sort of throw things out in the in the episode week to week development stage. Right. No, that's great. And we are with Peter on the Paramount lot, and you, that is a cricket you hear in the background <laughs> to get it. It's welcoming us here. <laughs> All right. With that, we are going to take a break. We are here with Peter Lenkoff. You're listening to Storywise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Peter Lenkoff, the showrunner, creator, executive producer on Hawaii Five-O. Um, prior to this, you were on CSI New York where you wrote an episode that led to Ed Asner being nominated for an Emmy. What was this like? Um, it was a great experience. I, um, I, it, it, what, what was so great about it is that when I was writing it, I had Ed in mind, so, which is, uh. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and you actually, we got very lucky to have him respond so positively and, and want to do it. And, and ultimately he became a good friend of mine. So that was a good plus. Cause you know, you grow That's up watching, you grow up watching Mary Tyler Moore and the Lou Grant show. And then you end up having, you know, monthly dinners with this, you know, man who you, you really idolized. And, uh, so it was a good experience. I think, uh, for me, the other plus was, um, after the show aired, we got a lot of great positive feedback and, um, 
it was a story involving the Holocaust and um, very unconventional CSI in New York, but the story that I always wanted to tell and felt like after, you know, the in the sixth season of the show or the fifth season of the show, we we sort of built up the loyalty of our audience to be able to tell a very unconventional story. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, after it aired, I got a lot of uh, letters and, and 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 these great reviews and. Then I started getting calls from rabbis around around the country asking if they could get copies of the show to use it as a, a use it as a teaching tool. Oh, and um, that's a compliment. Yeah, which was yeah. that was pretty great. And then uh, um, a couple of requests, one from the Holocaust Museum in New York to put it in there. And so I, I just thought it it really had it ended up having a life of its own. And and um, and I was really proud of the episode. Probably like if I look back at my experience on on CSI New York, I, I had a great run on that show and it was a lot of fun and you know great friends but i think that to me was uh, the standout the high point uh, yeah, yeah for sure that's uh, of, great of, of that time would you say when you were writing it you always know like would you say when you were writing the episode that there was something that you just connected with like you kind of had an idea that this was going to do well i I sat with the story for so many years mm-hmm. I, and I wanted to tell the story. And, and, and every time I thought about, okay, I want to do it. I, I just felt the time wasn't right. I, I, I felt we were still exploring, you know, our characters and we were doing things in the show that it didn't feel like it was the right time. Um, did I think it was special? I thought the story to me was special. I didn't know if it would be special to other people. Uh, I also didn't think for a second that we'd win any awards or Ed would get nominated for an Emmy because all I thought about if I could slip this episode by everybody and get it out there, wow. uh, that I would do my part in, uh, you know, sort of keeping the, the story of the Holocaust alive. Yeah. So that to me was what I want. I had an agenda. You know, you don't want to tell the studio, hey, I want to tell a story because I have an agenda. Usually they just want to hear you tell a good story that, you know, that's that's going to be this compelling mystery, this compelling crime story. For me, I had a little bit of an agenda and I wanted to get the story out and, and uh, uh it, it, we just, again, like that was one of those experiences that everything clicked on it and, uh, Ed was great. And I, I wasn't even, you know, a CSI, these pop culture shows usually don't get nominated for, for awards. Mm-hmm. So the day that the Emmy nominations came out, I started getting all these emails very early in the morning saying congratulations and Mazel Tov and all. And I had no idea what people were talking about. Because I, you know, usually if you're on the, if you're on a, a show, a cable show, you're on a show that sort of gets these awards. You're up early that morning and you're you're online or or you're you know watching TV and you're you're waiting for those nominations. For me, I, you know, you it was a normal, in. yeah, it was a normal <laughs> yeah. morning. I wasn't expecting us to get any kind of like recognition. That's huge. And when that's when, fantastic. Um, yeah, because you know usually if they get an award or CSI gets an award or one of these like pop culture shows get an award, it's usually like a technical award. Right. Um. And uh, or something to do with CSI, like we're always up for makeup, you know, yeah. for for those kind of awards because you know when you're when you're when you're showing a autopsy body, I mean that's that's an art form in itself. So, but I had the last thing I thought was an Emmy nomination, and when it when I found out that's what all these emails were for, I was like in shock. That's fantastic. I love that. I love that. Um, now with twenty four. Um, what was it like working on that show? And that was your mentor was on that show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Joel yeah. Chernow. Great. Yeah. I worked with Joel on, um, on La Femme Nikita. Great. And, um, and I, I literally, uh, had left the district and, um, the district was coming to an end and Joel asked me to come on, 
um, 24. I was going to go on CSI New York, but I just, I felt like, I felt like I wanted to do something a little different. Um, I didn't want to go on another procedural show. Um, and I ended up, Joel ended up offering me a job on 24 and I, it was a great experience. Um, there was a lot of real, it felt like the Yankees on that show because you had a lot of like real big, uh, um, uh, powerful, you know, strong, really like writers that I really admired. And, and we were all executive producers on that show. So it felt like, um, there was no real staff writer. There was no, you know, story wow, editor. That's interesting. It was all executive producers. So you went in there every day and like, you know, I felt like somehow I was drafted into the Yankees and, uh, that's um, great. yeah, I sitting with that. all these, you know, sitting with all these guys breaking stories and, um, but it was a great experience. Joel, you know, Joel was, uh, has always been great to me. He was a you know great mentor to me. And, uh, it was a, it was a fun, actually it's, it's funny. Uh, some of the friendships, uh, for instance, Steve Cronish, um, who, uh, I wrote a lot of episodes with him, uh, who just happens to also be a neighbor of mine. And I didn't know that at the time. Um, I had such a good relationship with him. I brought him over here. So I brought him over here on, on, um, on Hawaii Five-0. Oh, and, and, uh, so he's been a good, uh, a good partner here as well. And do you, did you write that, that one episode that I loved the hostage episode? Was that with him or was that with somebody else? Uh, on this on Hawaii Five-0. Actually, right now on Hawaii Five-0, Steve, Steve hasn't even written an episode. I've, I've oh. had him so busy right. actually uh, helping me edit shows right. that uh, all this time is spent uh, over. He has an office right here, right. but he also spends most of his time in editing. Oh, so. wow. Well, good for you, though. I mean, I think that's part a huge part of this business is you connect and make relationships. And then as you succeed, it provides opportunity for other people and vice versa. Absolutely. So I, I think that's amazing. Thinking on 24, um, because it's so character-driven and serialized, and now you're more in the close-ended business, which do you prefer? Do you like both? What, I mean, you kind of have grabbed from that the character and put it into the close ended, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, we have serialized elements in the yeah. show, and I and when I my experience on Twenty Four was great because I I did love that kind of storytelling, and I felt like that's water cooler stuff. That's that's must see television, and I felt that I wanted to add an element of that. Uh, into Y5O. And so when I was writing the story, I wanted to add some other kind of value to the show and not just have every episode be, you know, this, this close-ended episode, but make make people who are loyal to the show, like 24, loyal to the show, have some kind of reward. So I constructed this idea about this box, this champ box that the father leaves behind, and there's a mystery in the box. And our hero McGarrett is going to unravel that mystery over the course of, you know, a number of episodes. And, um, oh, and I felt like that will be my sort of 24 serialized element of the show. So if you watch the show for the first mm-hmm. time, it'll be something that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't spend that much time on it, but it's yeah. something that's, you know, in each episode it's there, it's, uh, it's present. But if you watch the show week to week and you're a loyal viewer, it's going to pay off in a big way. Oh, that's great. That's kind of like Matthew Weiner does that on Mad Men where it's a very slow. I mean, you guys 
did a huge thing out of the box. I mean, but Mad Men, I find, is a very slow, and then he kind of hits you upside the head and really builds to something absolutely amazing, you know? So yeah. I think it's a great story technique. I think it's a really good story technique. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, fun. it's uh, you know, I, I, I never had the opportunity on, on another show to do that, mm -hmm. and, I, and I found that if CBS is going to allow us to do it, I'm really going to milk it. So uh, we have an episode that airs um, tonight, actually right. that um we introduce woe fat and woe right. fat is this character who in the original 5-0 was the arch nemesis of mcgarrett right and over the course of 12 years woe fat was in the pilot he was in the last episode he was like the one-armed man who got away but you know he was in a number of episodes over 12 years so i wanted to introduce woe fat but i wanted to introduce him in a very very i just wanted to introduce him in in, in a very subtle way right so he's introduced today at the at tonight in the end of the show and then next week, he is in one scene. He has one line of dialogue, and it's really a gift to the audience that watched the show this week. Yes, and it's basically telling you that this is not the last time you're going to see this guy. Yeah. And on a normal show, they'd say, "Well, wait a second. You're not going to bring in Mark Dacascos and pay him all this money just for one line. Yes. For one episode. So what I did was I made sure that we were going to shoot the episodes 11 and 12 back to back having his scenes back to back. So we would shoot the last, the Mark Dacascos first scene in episode 11 on the last day of production on 11 and shoot his one scene in episode 12 on the first day of production on episode 12. So I would justify having to fly him out for one line of dialogue. That was smart. Um, but I think if you watch the show, I think people will appreciate that because nothing's, nothing is, you know, we don't hit anybody with a sledgehammer with this. I really want to sort of, get this guy in our world and make you wonder who he is. And I felt the only way to do that is to do these kind of very subtle scenes with him. Oh, that's um, wonderful. And, and, uh, and not make them about anything other than establishing a character. Right. I think that's great. So it's interesting because as you're talking, it's very clear that uh, as a writer, you kind of learn from every experience and draw from it in the present. Um, what about the district? What would you say your experience was like? These are all very different shows, so yeah. The district for me, the district was a very adult show, and I, mm -hmm. I, I, the the only reason why I wanted to write it is because I thought that I couldn't, and, and I, I just, I remember at the time when that show was on the air, it was a Saturday night show, it was a ten o'clock show, and I never watched it. And I remember even when I met with John Worth and Pamela Vise, Pam Visay uh, about the show, they asked me you know, what I thought of the show. And I said, I, I, I really, I've seen the last 10 minutes of a number of episodes because I remember coming home on Saturday night and, and uh, you know, if I got in home before 11 o'clock, my parents-in-law would end up be, they'd end up watching that show. So I'd see the last 10 minutes who were, they were babysitting. So I'd end up seeing the last 10 minutes of that show. So I knew the wrap up of every show, but I didn't know anything about the show. Um, but when I got offered the show, I got, got offered the show, I just felt like, it was a very adult show. It was a cop show, but still, it was a very adult show. Um, the characters were all adults. Um, subject matter was very adult subject matter, and I just felt like I. it was the one show when I looked at the landscape. It was something that I didn't think I could write, and I just felt it would be a great challenge to write it. So, And I loved Craig T. Nelson. I thought, yeah. you know, he was just so, you know, so amazing. And when I saw some of the episodes, I thought he was great, and I just thought I could add value to that show. Yeah, I know. That's um, great. So I think you know really what what got me got me was my fear 
you know, fear of having wondering if you could do it. I think that's great. Okay, you also worked on La Femme Nikita, um, which certainly was in your wheelhouse because of your comic book background. What? Tell me about that experience. La Femme Nikita, actually, that was probably the most obvious of of, uh, choices for me to make. It was something that um, Luc Besson's uh, professional and La Femme Nikita, the original La Femme Nikita, was probably two of my favorite films at the time. Um, uh, And I wasn't even looking to, it's funny, because I wasn't looking to do a show at the time. And uh, I was actually writing a lot of of movies or rewriting a lot of movies at the time. And and I remember I got a call from a friend at Warner Brothers who asked me if I'd be interested in writing one episode of the show. Um, and, uh, I guess what they were doing was it was in its third season and they were looking to shake things up a little bit. And, um, so he asked me to look at the show and I watched the show and he said, would you write an episode? And, and, uh, I said, sure. Cause I, it just, I liked what I, what I saw. Um, and I remember I met with Joel and, um, I didn't know if he liked me or not. I, I remember meeting him and, you know, I, I, we talked about a bunch of ideas and we landed on one idea and, uh, he said, okay, go off and write. And I, I don't even remember, we didn't spend much time like actually talking about it, but I remember him just feeling like, okay, you sort of, you get it, go off and write the script. And I went off and wrote the script and I remember sending it in and I didn't hear anything for a few days and I felt, okay, you probably hated the script or I, t- I, I tanked it. And, and I, I don't know, even at the time, I wasn't sure I, it, it, it wouldn't, it bothered, even though I didn't want the job, even though I sort of was was reluctant about even writing this television show, it killed me not hearing anything. Because you know you 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 write something, you, you you know you pour your heart and soul into everything you do. So you you want to have um, feedback. Know, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you want to have it warmly re- yeah. received. But I didn't hear anything, and I learned that ultimately at Stroll. But um, uh, I didn't hear anything, and, and I got a call from his assistant one day. Can you come in and? I thought, uh, uh, my God, is he calling me in to like scream at me, or is he? And I remember sitting in the uh, lobby of the office, and uh, he walked in, and and he was singing, "Have I told you lately that I love you?" And uh, <laughs> and I I wasn't even sure. I thought I I, I I didn't even realize he was singing it to me. Like he walked in, he started singing the song, and he walked into his office. He still sang, and he came back out, and he like waved me to come in, and he said, "This is a great script." And and then he said to me, um, it, literally within the first like five minutes. He said, "I want you to come on the show and and uh, and write more scripts." And I said, "I I don't know if I can." And he said, "When someone offers you a job on a television show, take the job. You don't say no." And uh, so I literally had to say yes in the room there, and I ended up um, jumping on that season. Th- I think it was season three and writing, I think eight episodes that year. Oh my god, um, that's fantastic! Yeah, because it was a small. It was yeah. just him and Bob. It was him and Bob Cochran, and right. And, uh, what a great really have, learning experience. It was great. It yeah. was great. And the next year after that, it was just myself and Larry Herzog. Great. And we wrote every other episode. And that really was like boot camp. Every other episode. Yeah. Oh it was gosh. great. But it was great. Yeah. I, I've never had an experience like that before, since. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever have one like that again. It was the probably the greatest uh, TV experience I had. And you had how many kids at that time? <laughs> Just two. Okay. Yeah. You but it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it was a great, it was a great experience. And I learned a lot from Joel. And, um, I also learned a lot about writing, uh, um, uh, under pressure, mm-hmm. uh, with a real, you know, deadline. I also learned a lot about the, the, um, I learned a lot about 
being prepared. Yeah. I, I think that was the one thing Joel was really like uh, uh, one of his lasting impressions is that every time, every season we started, we always had a, a number of scripts. You know, I think one season we started with about seven scripts. Um, and I always feel like I got to do that, uh, with whatever, you know, with every show I'm on, I always feel like I want to start the season with a few scripts and bank, bank a few scripts because I do not want to be behind. I think um, it's a great Aaron spelling. Our rule was always, you had to have five scripts in the can before the first day of, yeah. of when the show premiered. So it, it is, I think it's a great rule. Yeah. It is less pressure for you when you're doing the show. Now, um, going, keeping in the comic book vein, so you recently did a mini-series starring Stephen Dorff and Val Kilmer called 13, which is based off the popular graphic novel and video game of the same name. How was it working on this mini-series? It was, uh, it was, it was a great experience. I actually, uh, the, uh, Jay, Jay Firestone, who uh, actually was one of the producers on La Femme Nikita, uh, had approached me probably around that time. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you know, we're talking about, um, I think it was like a good 15 years ago, 14 years ago, he approached me with with, uh, with interest of, would, would I be interested if he got the rights to 13? And I said, sure. Little did I know that 10 years later, he'd finally get those rights and, and call me up. But um, I was always a fan. It was a graphic novel in Europe. It's very big. It's very popular. Uh, here it's not as known or was not as well known. It was a video game that came out that was based on the graphic novel that was popular, but really in Europe, it was like, it's, it's the book. It's like, you know, it, it adults, kids, everybody read this thing. And, and, um, I ended up, uh, writing it for, um, for, uh, um, for Jay and for, uh, for actually it ended up on NBC. It was a miniseries on NBC, but I ended up writing it. Uh, with another production company in uh, Paris. So I got to spend a lot of time in Paris going back and forth. Um, they shot most of it in Toronto, some of it in Paris. They did some editing in Paris as well. Uh, I also got to bring on a good friend of mine, Dwayne Clark, who uh, yeah, uh, is directing uh, yeah. Hawaii Five-0, who's directed yeah. CSI New York. And I brought him on, begging, beg, begged him to, to do it. And he came on and directed the miniseries. And I got to write it with uh, my cousin, David Walkoff. Oh, that's fantastic. Who, yeah, who actually is on... Hawaii Five-0 with me now. Great. We've done a lot of stuff with, and uh, we ended up getting nominated for um, uh, Gemini, which is like the Canadian equivalent of, a, of an Emmy. Great. Um, but it was a great experience, and um, uh, what's great also is that it, it's uh, it's being shot now as a TV series. They uh, it got picked up as a, as a series. They're doing 13 episodes the first season, and uh, Dwayne is involved in it. Uh, Jay's involved in it. I'm not involved in it because of Hawaii Five-0, but um, but I think they're shooting episode eight right now. They're shooting it in Toronto, and it's the miniseries uh, launched a, a now a, a TV series. So. Oh, that's fantastic! Do you know what I love that you're talking about is how like as soon as success starts for you, how you kind of keep your circle around you, and you guys kind of rise through the ranks, and opportunity comes to who you care about but also clearly know are talented so that's that's fantastic yeah i think you want to insulate yourself with people you know could do the job and yeah and uh you know will protect you and and uh have your back have yep. your back and yeah. like and probably have the same you know uh, the same taste you know that's mm -hmm. really important uh shorthand is mm -hmm. important and i think when you're when you're staffing a show 
I think you always look, you try to look for the best writers out there. And uh, a, a lot of writers that I brought on this show are people that I met for the first time. Some people are not available to you, but you always try to bring a few of those people that you know uh, that when it comes you know, down to it and it's at the 11th hour, those people will come through for you because they have in the past. What, when you were staffing for this show, it's a great topic, what did you look for in the scripts? Did you read mostly original pilots or did you read what spec scripts did you read if you read spec scripts? I read I, I, everything. I really would. Yeah. I, I really. I think what what the what I had sent out to agents when they were asking. I think the message that I had sent out is that I was looking for a voice. You know, I was looking for somebody that really uh, had a unique voice. Somebody that um, uh, didn't just you know copy some other show. Uh, and look, you know, I was looking for somebody. You know, people that were had had been on shows and had experience on shows and had you know had written a lot of episodes of shows but i think for the most part i knew that they could do that because they had that on the resume i was looking for something else yes um i was also looking for muscles that uh you don't normally exercise in the genre like comedy mm-hmm. um and heart i think right. those things uh, when you look at a procedural show very rarely do you find yourself choked up at the end uh, but I was looking for that kind of writing. I was looking for comedy in the writing. So you probably um, read plays too. I read a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah. I read a lot, a lot of material. Yeah. Character work. Yeah. I was really interested in character work. Great. That's where the plays came in for me. Yeah. Cause I did read a lot of those. Um, but you know, look, you know, you're, you're staffing. Um, usually you want to bring everybody you worked with on the last show. Uh, unfortunately I couldn't do that. So I, I really had to sort of start from scratch and, get a couple people that I had worked with. And for the most part, I think 80% of my staff is, is new people. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So you're creating new opportunity. That's wonderful. And, um, what about mentoring? How would you, what are your views on mentoring on having who your mentors were and how important you mentoring others is? Um, well, I think with with mentors, I I think you know I was talking about Joel Cernow. Joel was a big, he was very instrumental in my career, because again, you know, I, I I felt like I was doing well at the time, but I I didn't realize uh, what a what a what a satisfying career I I, I could have, uh, and I learned that through him, because I felt I was writing a lot and I was doing a lot of rewrites, but not a lot of things were getting made, um, and I felt like when he sort of pulled me in, and it, it was a little kicking and screaming into into doing La Femme Nikita, I realized that I could get something made, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, and that's really the goal for a writer. And I learned so many things from him, you know, besides that. He, en- he ended up actually introducing my wife. And I mean, he's really, really been instrumental in my life. Very but, instrumental. That's yeah, great. Yeah, personally and professionally. But I felt like I learned so many lessons from him that I realize on a daily basis that I'm using those today. Um, so it's important. And I feel like the same way, you know, on every show I, I've ever been on, I've there's always been somebody that I end up like sort of doing the same thing for and trying to teach and trying to um, um, get behind and, and uh, mentor. And and I think, you know, I don't know if I I don't know if I deliberately go out of my way to do it. I, I find that it's just a natural thing. And it's the same way, you know, Joel had done it with me. It's that you spend a lot of time with somebody, you start like you start ending up you know, helping him. You start ending up like pushing him in certain directions or you end up, you know, realizing that you're giving them advice even though you weren't meaning to give them advice. Um, and I felt like I've done that a lot. You know, really probably the most um, 
you know, when I look at like some of the people that have been in my life, like I had this uh, uh, assistant, Patrick Clifton, who was my assistant at Universal for years. And one day he told me he wanted to write. And I, I was, you know, sort of blown away because he had never shared that with me before. And I said, okay, let's write something. And we literally were, were talking about a very shared experience that we had had. And we ended up writing this movie called Son-in-Law together. Oh and that turned gosh. out to be this That's this Polly Shore movie. And again, you know, I was really, you know, I was 25 years old at the time. I was, it was, I was very, I was really a kid, and so was he. But I felt like the one thing that I could do for him, because I was already under contract at Universal, very young. He, you know, really was just my assistant, wanted to write, but I felt that what I could do for him was was basically write the script together, and then at least people would read it. I don't know if they necessarily buy it, but at least they read it because. I, I had yeah. A, a, yeah. a little bit of traction. Yeah. You know? um, that was a gift. Yeah. That so, was great. And, and you know, so we, we ended up doing a, a lot of stuff together over the years. And the same way with my cousin, you know, David, who, you know, went to film school, wanted to be a writer. And uh, uh, when he came out, really spent a lot of time with him uh, developing scripts until I felt like, I felt that he was ready to actually write write something mm-hmm. uh, and get paid for it right and i the first thing he did was i brought him on la femme nikita and he wrote a bunch of episodes for me and uh and then i've been using him over the years and and uh bringing him on everything i do uh and he's been great and he just so happens to be my cousin but he's somebody that i really saw something in uh and i and he, he could tell you that i push him very hard sometimes but right. I, cause I, I feel like it's probably not probably even easy. more so because it's probably family. even more yeah. so for sure, yeah. but it's not easy. This, the job isn't easy. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I always feel somebody could do a little better, but I, I feel like I saw something in him and I knew he could do it. And I, I knew that unless I helped him that I didn't think he'd have the same opportunities. Yeah. Uh, that, and I felt like I could give him that. And that's huge. Um, I mean, you, you know, when you think when people help, you blaze a path it's very important for you to pass that on to others so i i think that's great for sure yeah i think that's great so going into your experience in the feature world um you've written and produced demolition man starring sylvester stallone and sandra bullock along with a number of films starring polly shore including son-in-law and jury duty take us into your process as a feature writer and what the experience of selling and producing films has been. What's the process? Early on, I, I think when I first started, that's that's what I wanted to do, was I wanted to be a feature writer. Um, the uh, I wrote a uh, screenplay in college um, that was sort of like the final assignment we had, so I, I wrote it. But I remember writing it like in, I had waited all, you had to, we had one assignment all year, was to write a screenplay. And uh, I waited to the last three days. And... Um, just had come up with a story that was um, something I was really passionate about and literally sat out for three days and wrote it. And um, I ended up coming to L.A. that summer um, to take an advanced screenwriting course, and I brought that script with me, and I showed it to um, a producer who I ended up getting a like internship with, and she ended up optioning the project. So for me, it seemed like, oh, well, this is easy. Uh, all I got to do is write something in three days, and I'll option it, and and have a career. But I realized that, uh, I think what she, what she saw in the project was an interesting idea, but not a fully, you know, formed, uh, or fully fleshed out, uh, script. Right. Um, I ended up writing about seven other screenplays after that, that I did not show anybody. Right. Uh, cause I didn't feel like I really had, had grown as a writer in any way. 
See, uh, but that's good for writers to hear. So you wrote like seven screenplays before you had your your big break. Yeah, and I and I also wrote seven screenplays in seven different genres. So wow. trying to find, you know, I wrote like what I thought was my Woody Allen movie about a guy turning forty. I, I had nothing, you know, I was you know twenty two at the time, <laughs> yeah. so I. I don't know wh- why I thought I don't know why I thought I could write something about uh, somebody turning forty, but I I did. Uh, it was you know literally it was about a guy on his fortieth birthday, his whole world collapses. Wow. Um, and I thought I was going to be Woody Allen, and and then I wrote you know a science fiction uh, comedy uh, in the vein of Ghostbusters that was about uh, UFO investigators. Uh, then I wrote a horror movie, and then I wrote an action movie, and so I was writing a comedy, um, a teen spy movie called 003 and a Half. Uh, so I was writing like every different uh, genre until I really realized that what I needed to do was write something that I was really passionate about, something that I really knew, um, or not not necessarily knew, but something that I could do real research on and. Uh, uh, get into a world that felt real and, and uh, felt like I, I knew something about it. Um, and I ended up, and again, and again, I guess it's really something about your passion about it. And two things that I really wanted to, or I, I liked was one was a little bit of science fiction. Uh, and that's where this, you know, concept of cryogenics uh, was something I was really fascinated with. Um, at the time, I, I remember um, at the time that I sort of was coming up with this concept, which I, I'm sure will be very obvious in a second but I remember there was a lot of like stuff about cryogenics in the news so that was something that was very fascinating to me and the other was I loved cop movies I loved Lethal Weapon I loved you know a lot of these um you know French Connection I love a lot of these movies so I, I felt like how do I marry both of my interests into one and I had come up with this idea called Demolition Man and it was based on a song that um that the you know police had done and um I remember I, at the time I literally had like no money, and I had a horrible car, and my friend had borrowed a cassette from me, and uh, he had lost it, so he gave me a cassette, uh, and he gave me like half the uh, a Sting album, which was like Dream of the Blue Turtles or something, I forget what the name, and there was one song called Demolition Man on, on the album, and the cassette was all busted up, so it would play in my tape deck just the song on a loop. So I kept playing Demolition Man. So I listened to that every day on the way to work and back this song. Wow. So when you start hearing this song over yeah. and over, you start imagining like, okay, who what would a, who is Demolition Man? And and you start thinking like a writer. Okay, how do I flesh out Demolition Man? Like who is he? And and uh, and um, what does that word mean to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I started thinking like, okay, who is Demolition yeah. Man? There's a song about him. So clearly he's somebody important. And really the song was. It, 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 there was nothing about a demolition man. It was just that was you know a line in 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 the uh, in the song, uh, but you didn't know anything. If you looked at the lyrics, there was no story of demolition man. But I felt okay. I'm going to come up with a story of demolition man, and um, and I ended up writing this. Um, and again, I wrote this thing really quickly. Um, this this um, movie, this spec script. But before I wrote it, I felt like I had done you know, seven scripts, I, I, I started losing a little bit of faith in myself. So what I decided to do was, since I had a very high concept idea, I felt, okay, I'm going to pitch this. And I really had never uh, pitched anything before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember reading an article about an executive at Silver Pictures um, that I thought, okay, she got these kind of movies. And uh, so what I did was I cold called her and pitched her the idea over the phone. Was, oh, that's it was, great. It was right before Christmas. 
And I and it was a couple calls until she actually took the call. And I said, let me just pitch this idea. And I started pitching it to her. And I I remember having this sort of out-of-body experience thinking, what am I doing? Because I don't even understand what I'm pitching. Uh-huh. But I pitched it to her. And at the end of the pitch over the phone, now, again, she wouldn't even see me in person. But over the phone, she ended up saying, I don't get it. And uh, I, I was I was like horrified. I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, you know, I was, I was so disappointed. and Because I thought, okay, this is a really great concept. How come she doesn't get it? So I ended up. Uh, just, you know, being fueled by that, being angered by it. And I just sat down and I wrote the script out in like in three weeks. And Oh my gosh, that's a great story. Yeah. Wow. And uh, ended up, um, you know, getting getting a, a, a friend to give it to an agent to read. And that agent literally got it out like a day later to all the studios. And I got a bunch of offers and, and ended up at Warner Brothers and, and, uh, and, it was really, I look back and it was the executive who who sort of forced my hand, uh, got me to write this thing on spec because um, I really probably would have just shelved the idea. Um, it's just that she made me so angry and and, and, uh, and I, I just, But you I was probably shocked. brought that anger to the page. So yeah, I, I did. And I, I felt like I also, there was a yeah. couple of things I did in the script to try to make it stand out. And, right. you know, I really felt like, I really wanted her when she re- she read this thing to be, you know, angry that she had passed on it, and ultimately it landed at Silver Pictures. So oh, um, she was gone by then, so I yeah. never got to gloat. But yeah, uh, but um, but it ended up there. It ended up with the producer I wanted to to do it with anyway. So oh, that's fantastic! I love that story. Um, now I'm pitching um, advice on pitching. If you think about how you pitched your story then versus what you've learned about pitching over the years and what you look for in a strong pitch. What would you say? Um, clarity. I think, you know, that, that to me, but for me, I, I think when I first, I remember when I first started, uh, pitching and and I even came to Paramount a lot. There was an executive, Ned Tannen back in the day who Mm -hmm. I pitched to a few times and he'd always write me these great letters afterwards. And, encouraging me to come back in but clearly you know I wasn't ready to actually get an assignment um but I remember you know pitching to him and he he'd, he'd give me advice about you know just you know slow you know you don't right. pitch so far you know I used to try to pitch very quickly and try to get it out and it was all nerves I realized it was all nerves so when I got over the fact of I didn't have to be nervous I could go in and take my time and pitch something still be aware of the clock because you don't want to spend an hour in there pitching to an executive but um not try to get it out so quickly, but really mm-hmm. try to tell a story, try to be um, concise, try to give them, you know, the real highlights of the story, uh, not every little beat of the story. Um, when I started learning some of the rules, I started getting more, you know, I started getting a little more confident um, mm-hmm. with with what I was doing. Um, I think confidence is, is is a big big thing. I think Red Bull is a is a huge factor. <laughs> I think um, I, I I think ultimately you. Um, you just learn from every pitch what works, and I think I go now. Now I feel like I go. I go in, and and if I'm, and I'm usually confident because I feel like I've done the work. I feel like I've done the homework. Not that I think what I'm delivering is so great, but I feel like I've done all I could to, to make it the best. It could make be. it the best it could be. Mm-hmm. And when I go in there, if they don't like it, that's their that's their thing. But at least I've done everything I could to. Uh, deliver them something that will be entertaining. 
Um, so preparation is a huge part of a successful pitch. For me, yes. Yeah. And I feel also, there were, you know, I went through all these different stages where I'd record some of my pitches, I'd put them on tape, and I'd listen to them back. And I tried all these different things, and I realized that being a little over-prepared is not great. I think um, uh, spontaneity is also good. Um, and I think it's just... I think being passionate, I think, you know, they, they could see through, you know, they, they see these things all day long. People come in and pitching and when they see somebody who's really passionate and, and, and really, it gets them excited about it. I, and I think that's a big deal as well. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you totally. I, I think that's, I think that's a great note. Okay. On a personal note. So you have a wife and four kids would love to hear and pets would love to hear your pets, thoughts yeah. on work life, career and balancing it all. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, can you give me some advice on that? I, I, here, uh, I grew, I grew up, I grew up very middle-class. So I grew up with my dad going to work every day, coming home at night. And, but, but the one thing I, and I saw him work very hard and I, I remember him waking up very early and coming home at a normal hour. He always was home for dinner. So that was very important to me coming home for dinner. Um, being there in the morning is very important. I feel like if I have to write I usually carve out time that's not going to affect my family. So I usually will write very early in the morning. I wrote when I wrote the pilot for for Y five O. I'd wake up about three o'clock in the morning. I'd go down to my office. Yeah. I'd write that to about uh, eight thirty. Yeah. I'd make the kids breakfast. I I I, I want to be there at breakfast every morning. Oh. So I'd make them breakfast and then I'd go to work. I'd come home at a normal hour, have dinner with the family, make sure everybody's in bed and then go back and write for a couple hours and then usually get like three, four hours sleep. And that was when I was writing the pilot. I don't do that every day. It's, right. I don't think it's healthy. Uh, right. You can survive. But if I'm on a deadline or something needs to be done, that's my schedule. I'll, yeah. I'll I, you know, um, I remember when, again, when I was writing the pilot, it was last fall and it was like rainy season. I, and my wife would see me getting up out of bed at like three o'clock, three thirty. And I had to, I have my offices in a barn. So I'd have to like walk from my house to the barn. So I'd have to go in the rain or, you know, in the bad weather um, to the barn, start the heater up and wow. uh, it would take a while to get, you know, by the time I was like half hour into writing, it finally would get warm in there. So not that, you know, I, not that anybody should have any kind of pity on me, but um, I felt like those are the sacrifices you make. You get up early, you do those things so you can have a, a normal life. Um, cause I, the, op, the other side is that you just, you know, you sacrifice not seeing your family mm -hmm. cause it is a lot of work and it's a lot of hours and, and you could very easily find yourself like, you know, going through an entire week, uh, not seeing anybody, um, other than your computer. So, um, I just, you know, it's a routine that I, um, you just learn to live with. I wish I could get more sleep, but it's just not possible. And even when I try to sleep. Um, you can't. So yeah. um, I've got it down to a routine where I'm still present uh, as a father and a husband and I still get to do my work. So and somehow think, it's worked out. I think that's fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, I think as long as you're doing something that's bringing energy back in, as long as every day you're refueling in a way. And I think like you say, things like making breakfast for the kids is important to you. So it's worth the sacrifice of your getting up at three o'clock in the morning, which they say getting writing right off a dream state is the best time to write anyway. So as, as difficult as that can be, I would imagine, you know, I remember 
when I worked at Spelling, there was a showrunner who had gone through a divorce and he had two toddlers and he had them 50% of the time. And I said, how are you doing this? And he said, I operate on five hours of sleep a night. And he said, you know, it's the craziest thing. The more you have to do, the more you get done. And you just do it, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think you're having your father as a role model and and what and helping you to see what was important to you um i think that's great and the fact that you get to experience your art in so many different platforms and and have success i i I think that's fantastic it's great for people to hear about that you can do it that that was my biggest thing um now okay for our very last question um if you were to give a new writer some advice thinking over all that you've learned since you started your career, what would it be? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I only get one answer. No, you can, uh, you no, can, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. I, you know what? I, I don't know. I guess, I guess it sounds cliche, but you know, just it's right. It's first of all, you have to love writing. I think if you want to do it for any other reason than the love of writing, it's it's not going to work out. That's my own belief. I just feel like if you're just going to go in because it seems like a cool career and you can make a lot of money, I just don't think it works out for people. I think if you if it's the only thing you can do, if you if you think that you can't do anything else and you just find yourself living and breathing it, I I think that um, that's the first step into saying, yeah, I'm going to make this my my career. Um, and I think once you do that, I, I really truly believe that for me, the the, the two things that I, I think helped the most for me was was um, reading. I for me, I read everything. I and I still have and I have a a, lo- a massive library of screenplays. Uh, not on my computer. I actually have them, hard copies of screenplays, and I've read everything, good ones and bad ones. And I feel like you learn a lot about the craft um, just by reading and. The other is writing every day. You know, my my uh, uncle gave me the greatest advice when I'd come out to uh, L.A. when I was 21 years old, and he said, uh, keep a journal. And he gave me a journal, and I, I thought, well, you know, who keeps a journal? You know, who keeps a journal? And But I started working. I started writing a journal every day, and I realized that I was actually writing. I, I, I realized that he had given me this great piece of advice that I'm not even sure he knew what he was giving me. But I've collected in the you know, 24 years that I've been doing this, um, probably a hundred journals. And, you know, in there is like, you know, what happens in my day, but it's also little story ideas. It's, it's uh, anecdotes, it's dialogue for characters. I felt like I was, I was writing every day and I, I feel like that really helped. And even, even beyond that, I find myself sometimes just, writing even if i don't have to do it i do scene work i just you know keep writing just to just to try to get better you know because i i never feel and i never wake up thinking like you know that you're i'm the it, best it could always, I can be. you always right. think you could do better yeah. you always think i'm going to be better the next thing i write is going to be my best thing so uh, you know you're always trying to you know just hone your craft it's like you know it's it's like anything, you know. You just you, you practice. You know, you tell your kids, practice makes perfect. It's true. You you bring that as an adult as well to your you know to your your profession. Um, so I think I you know I don't know if there's there's some piece of advice or some you know. No, I fortune, think all you know, of those cookie, things but... are great because 
Right, number one, most important. And I think when you talk about journals, it's interesting because as I've told you in my book storyline, Finding Gold in Your Life Story, it's all about learning to add fiction to your truth. And so when you have a hundred journals to draw from that help you understand what your truth is and then add fiction to it in your story. And I would say looking at your writing, I mean, the thing I love about your voice when I watch your episodes that you've written is it, it stands out. Like even in this interview, how you draw from personal life moments that meant something to you and you bring that out and you bring that to your writing. So that is a gift. I thank you for that. Yeah. I think the, the, the listeners are going to learn so much from this interview <laughs> and I am so grateful to you for joining us and taking the time out of your crazy busy schedule and it will mean so much to so many. So, well, thank you. That, thank you. Thank you for being thank here. You. you got it. This is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise, and we are out with Peter Lenkoff, the creator, showrunner, executive producer of the hit show Hawaii Five O on CBS. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions.